today's programme, as the vaccination of 5 to 11-year-olds gets underway, we talk to Dr Lucy Jessup of the National Immunisation Office. With Omicron raging in the community, should the government provide free antigen tests to all households? Teachers sick and isolating and children being sent home from freezing classrooms. We hear from students on what's happening at the coalface. Can creches keep their doors open during this surge? Elaine Dunn of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. And should the option of accredited grades be back on the table for this year's Leaving Cert? Good afternoon and welcome to Saturday with Katie Hannan. My panel today, Minister for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, Donico Lira, Sinn Féin spokesperson on education and skills, and Verona Murphy, independent TD for Wexford. You can text us on 51551, email saturday at rte.ie or tweet to at, R- at saturdayrte. Now, from today, all 5 to 11-year-olds will be offered a primary dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Up to now, only very vulnerable or severely ill children could get a vaccine. Parents or guardians must register their children and provide consent for the vaccination before attending one of the clinics. And I'm joined now by Dr Lucy Jessup, Director of Public Health at the National Immunisation Office. Uh, Dr Jessup, you're very welcome. Good morning, thank you. Uh, Can you just tell us how many parents now have registered to vaccinate their children since the system went live at the start of uh, the week? Uh, yes, yeah, so around 77,000 uh, children are now registered for the uh, the, the vaccine uh, over the last few days. And that's out of uh, a cohort of 480,000 children, is that right? Yes, that's correct. And are you concerned in that line? We've had, as you say, the, the, the portal just opened up a week ago. Are you concerned about vaccine hesitancy by parents, considering that most children experience, as we understand it, experience a very mild form of COVID if they do contract it? Yeah, I wouldn't uh, call it vaccine hesitancy. I think parents have uh, concerns, obviously, uh, absolutely would like good information around the vaccine. They want to make sure that it's safe uh, for their children. Uh, And so we've launched our our information campaign a couple of weeks ago around that to give parents time to look into that information uh, and discuss it. uh, And if they need to discuss it with a trusted healthcare professional like their GP or a pharmacist. So it's not so much vaccine hesitancy. I think parents are taking their time to uh, consider the information and to uh, decide whether that's uh, the best decision for for their children to to be vaccinated. But certainly uh, we know there's a lot of parents uh, who were keen to come forward to have their children vaccinated. And particularly, uh, it's very highly recommended for those who are at at risk of severe disease, have conditions that would put them at severe uh, risk of severe COVID or indeed live with people who uh, are at risk of severe COVID disease. And we know that the uh, Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan uh, said that while we know most children in the 5 to 11 age group will experience, as I said, a, a mild form of this disease, a very small number may become severely ill. Do we know at this stage how many children have become severely ill from COVID in Ireland uh, over the last two years? Yeah, so over the last uh, couple of years, there were around just over 200 children who were hospitalised. But actually, 100 of those were between uh, June of last year, uh, uh, from June of last year onwards. Uh, and uh, around 12 have been in, in intensive care as well. So there are some children, unfortunately, who do need to go to hospital and, and do need to go to intensive care. And actually, of those who were hospitalised, 70% didn't have an underlying condition. So although having an underlying condition would put you at, at increased risk of, of needing hospitalisation or becoming se- severely unwell, some children who were previously well also needed to be hospitalised, unfortunately. Right. And, and what were there any deaths in this age group? Uh, no deaths reported from the HPSC in that age group during the, the time period. OK, and this this is going to be a two-dose vaccination um, and it will be given just three weeks apart. Uh, yes. Yeah, and yes. Wh- why, is that, why just the three weeks? Because that's shorter than, than for the, the adult uh, vaccination. So it's the Pfizer vaccine as the adults have had. So um, the uh, the recommended interval is uh, two weeks apart. So most adults who had the Pfizer vaccine in Ireland had a, uh, around two, uh, three to three to four weeks apart for the vaccine. So, so children will have it uh, three weeks apart, roughly. And then if uh, a child has uh, an, a compromising uh, a condition that puts them uh, means their immune system is compromised, they need an additional dose 28 days after that second dose. OK. How long will immunity last then, do we think? Uh, we're not entirely sure how long immunity will last. Uh, obviously, studies are on- ongoing for that. But obviously, this is the best thing we can do to protect our children against uh, COVID, particularly severe COVID. 
Are there or what are the potential side effects of vaccination in this age group? So the side effects, uh, some children will experience as a kind of similar side effects to, to uh, side effects that adults would have experienced. So feeling a bit tired, having a sore arm, headaches, uh, muscle pains and some fevers. Uh, very rarely uh, a child might have uh, a severe allergic reaction. And then we are warning parents also about myocarditis or pericarditis, which is very rare uh, inflammation of the heart or, or the lining of the heart. Yeah, that I think that's that's one that, that parents will be very concerned about because uh, we've we've seen it. Uh, it has, you know, been discussed in the media in relation to to younger younger people who get the vaccination. How serious a concern uh, should it be? Well, uh, actually, reassuringly, we have some new information in from uh, the the the, uh, the US. So, recently presented to their uh, their their equivalent of, of NIAC, um, they've given now. Uh, 8.5 million doses of the vaccine to 5 to 11 year olds and they've only uh, had 12 cases of myocarditis reported so they're reporting that the rate in 5 to 11s is a lot lower than the rate in teenagers and those in their early 20s so that's very encouraging now obviously the America have been vaccinating their 5 to 11s for a couple of months now so that's that's really uh, encouraging news that it does seem to be a lower rate than those uh, those in their teens and 20s. Okay um if a child has had COVID recently, uh, as we know, so many children have been uh, caught, caught up in this current Omicron wave, can they be vaccinated right away? How long do they need to wait? So they need to wait at least four weeks after their, their positive test uh, before they can come forward for vaccination. So not four weeks after they've recovered, four weeks from uh, from a positive test and they can go forward. Yes, but obviously they, they would need to. Oh, I think I might have just lost uh, the line there from Dr. Jessup. Are we able to get her back? No, we, you know, we, we might try and get uh, Dr. Jessa back on the line. But in the meantime, I'm going to go to you, uh, uh, Minister. In relation to um, the, the boosters, um, can I ask you... Uh, oh, yeah, that was the question I needed to ask you in relation to uh, the booster vaccination programme because a lot of people obviously are... are rolling out that and there is now a question of some hesitancy in the over 30s in relation to that because I suppose people are hearing Omicron is is mild and and do they really feel like they need to get the booster? Well I think they do need to get the booster we're encouraging people to do that Um, three weeks ago I was on another programme and we're you know we're getting a lot of complaints it wasn't being rolled out fast enough it's now among the fastest in the world I want to thank everybody Now Um, now the worry is that that, that the stocks are going to actually go beyond there It's a moment to thank our people at the vaccination clinics the HSE doctors, pharmacists and people themselves who went to clinics a huge amount of work done over Christmas Uh, just incredible so uh, I was very pleased to get mine um, my vaccination centre closed an hour earlier than they thought it was and I went to Dublin and got it done. No issues whatsoever. People can go to, to any vaccine centre that's open that suits them. Um, so so I, I don't see that hesitancy but what I think people need to realise as well is that this does give you added protection um, and the European uh, digital COVID cert for travel purposes within the European Union uh, is going, there's going to be a, you know the 1st of February that's going to change uh, to a nine month validity uh, so I think it will be necessary from a practical point of view for people to get their boosters but the primary reason to get a booster uh, is for your health for uh, and, and to protect you yeah. Okay I, I believe we might have uh, Dr Jessa back on the line uh, have you joined us again? I have, yes, apologies, I uh, dropped out there. Okay. Um, just, uh, again, just uh, so the practical uh, uh, situ- uh, issues for, for parents. Um, they can expect to get vaccinations uh, or, or appointments in the coming days if they've already registered on the portal. Yes, exactly. So they'll get a text uh, about 72 hours at least before their appointment to give them time to make arrangements. Uh, and uh, then, then obviously that will give them uh, the, the time for their vaccine. And if, if it doesn't suit them, uh, they can obviously uh, rearrange that appointment. Uh, and if they want to vaccinate uh, more than one child, if they have more than one child in that age group, or if they have a child that might need uh, some additional support being vaccinated, if they phone HSE live, uh, then they can be accommodated in, in, in clinics for, uh, with additional children or, or children with additional needs. And will these appointments be offered outside of school hours? Yes, absolutely. No, we, we need to make sure that it's, it's easy and convenient for parents to come. So uh, a lot of clinics on the weekend and then some after school time as well. Any plans for walk-in vaccination clinics for this cohort? 
Uh, no, not for the moment. It's it's a different vaccine to the adult vaccine, so it's important children don't turn up to the uh, the uh, adult walk-ins because the vaccine for children won't be uh, being used then. And obviously, we don't want children uh, hanging uh, about waiting uh, during walk-in uh, clinics. So these the clinics for children will be a little bit longer than the adult clinics. Uh, so to give parents, you know, a bit of a longer time to talk to the vaccinator and make sure the children are settled and, and, and are happy to be vaccinated. So it's it's much better if we do these planned appointment clinics than the walk-ins at the moment. And and just uh, again to tell parents if they want to register their child if they haven't been on the portal yet what do they need what information do they need to hand before they do that Yes, if you have your child's PPSN number uh, and then your mobile number, your air code and your email address, that's all you need to uh, register uh, on on the portal. If you don't have a PPSN for your child, then if you phone HSE Live, they can register the child without it. Okay, and and obviously parents needing any other information, any further information can find all of that on the HSE website. But I might just ask you that question that I was putting to the Minister there while we were trying to get you back on the line, uh, Dr Jessup. are you concerned that uh, about this hesitancy uh, among people going for their boosters because, you know, there's so much talk now about how much less severe the Omicron um, variant appears to be uh, in terms of um, and that, that this is kind of putting people off bothering to go for their booster jab? Uh, Yeah, no, I'm not particularly concerned about hesitancy for that. Again, people obviously have been very busy over Christmas and New Year, but we are actually the second highest uptake of boosters in in Europe. So that's really encouraging. And we do obviously have a lot of walking clinics. And now uh, what's become very popular now for most of the the centres, they can actually, you can self-book an appointment so you can choose the time that's convenient for you. So I would encourage people to go on the HSE website and look at that uh, and book themselves an appointment at a time that was convenient for them. And obviously uh, pharmacies and GPs still participating in the booster programme as well. So there's lots of opportunities for people uh, now obviously Christmas and New Year is over it's a good time to go and get vaccinated uh, we, we know obviously maybe for some people COVID can be uh, you know a, a little bit more mild at this point but we do know there's over 900 people in hospital and, and age four people in ICU at the moment so it can be very severe for some people and it's important to get that booster to give them added protection Okay. Okay. Dr. Lucy Jessup, many many thanks for joining us and giving us your time today uh, we let you go um, Dr. Jessup uh, touched on it there, like the numbers of cases are just just as we came to air, uh, we got the latest numbers for today, 26,122 new cases today. And of course, we know that that is actually a a huge underestimation of the number of actual cases in the community, uh, Minister. Uh, We're 83 in ICU, 917 people in hospital. You look across all the papers today, Omicron disruption of healthcare, pharmacies, legal services. Uh, We're looking at some of the highest infection levels in the world. Uh, Children being sent home from freezing classrooms. You've got to ask... Why is the Dáil and Shenet not not sitting right now, uh, Minister? Uh, like under the circumstances, how can you justify having the Dáil continuing along with their Christmas break for another eleven days? Well, look, I mean, the Dáil decided that, I presume, um, in conjunction with the business committee of the Dáil. And I would say that the vast majority of TDs would have absolutely no problem uh, sitting in the Dáil whenever it was called, because most of us have been quite active over Christmas uh, in our constituencies and and, and doing our various jobs. Uh, There's not really, I'd say, a single TD uh, who's doing nothing even during holiday periods. It's very, very busy in the constituency. Um, We're in a time of very serious, serious emergency here. I accept that. And all of the arms of the state are working at full throttle. First of all, we just talked about getting vaccinations out. Um, the HSC has just ordered a huge amount of antigen tests as well to get them back in. Um, the education department, the minister has been working really, really closely with public health and with unions all throughout the Christmas period uh, to make sure we can keep our schools open. And yes, Omicron is wreaking havoc. There's no question. And by the way, we don't know whether Omicron is milder because of the vaccination and our inherent uh, immunity at the moment, so people really can't take a chance of that. And can I just make a very important public health point? Vaccination centres are still open for people who haven't got their first dose, and nobody's going to judge it if you show up at a, at a vaccination centre without any vaccine whatsoever up to now. Please do. If you're thinking about it, look into it. Dr Jessup gave very encouraging information there, and I think anyone will do that at a vaccination centre as well if you haven't got the vaccine yet. Verona, mm-hmm. I think we should be back earlier. I think there's a myriad of issues. Free antigen testing is one. I've had 
so many representations from families who've been using antigen tests but just can't afford to do so. Neither can they actually allocate them when they need them. PCR testing, people are finding it extremely difficult. There's huge delays. They're depending on a PCR test in order to be able to access the serious illness benefit or the the illness benefit that will feed them whilst they're out of work. I do think our break is too long. I'm, I'm a newer TD, so I'm not actually sure who decides on these things, but I think it was short-sighted given the level of... Uh, we knew Omicron was going to be a problem. Omicron was going to be a problem. We shouldn't have an extended break like this. Donica O'Leary, you're in our Cork studio. Welcome. Did the, the, the all break? Yeah, look, I mean, I think four weeks is a is a very, very long break. And I think you'd have to have a lot of sympathy for people who are working very hard to keep their services going and they're looking at the dial not sitting and I'm thinking in particular of teachers and school staff who have uh, who've really stretched themselves very far and will be stretching themselves again next week uh, to ensure that our children have an education to ensure that they're supported and I think it's there the people who deserve the credit uh, for schools opening on, on Thursday and they deserve huge credit under very very uh, difficult circumstances so I think in that light like I mean and indeed the people who are working so hard in the vaccination centres I think yeah like I mean, I'd imagine they would be very frustrated we didn't agree with the four week break I think it's excessive I think it's unnecessary and I'd be certainly very happy uh, to go back Tuesday or Wednesday this week uh, as soon as possible now it's very much at the government's discretion that they have the power to bring back the dial there are many many issues that we could be discussing I think we could be discussing how we can ensure that schools stay open because it's not just about getting them open it's about ensuring that they stay open and just the situation in relation to antigen tests like I mean like Verona said I I'm contacted by people all the time. So many workplaces, so many uh, occupations, so many uh, parts of life now depend on antigen test. Indeed, I had to take an antigen test, and I'm sure you all did, to appear on this show. So, um, But people can hardly access them at all, and certainly not in the scale that's required. And the cost that's involved to people is very, very significant, particularly for people who are taking them every day or every couple of days, because their employment requires it. Absolutely. And I want to, I'm going to bring you back in that one, Minister uh, Shorty, but I do want to go to one... A uh, person who uh, feels very strongly about the antigen testing issue, but has many many of the concerns that were outlined there by uh, uh, Donica, um, because a sector that has been very badly hit by staff shortages in this wave is the childcare sector. Childcare providers saying that some businesses are reporting that up to fifty percent of their staff are off work due to COVID nineteen, while others haven't been able to open at all uh, in the post Christmas period. I'm joined now by Elaine Dunn, a chairperson of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Good afternoon, Elaine. Good afternoon. Uh, what level of staff shortages are you hearing from your members uh, this week? It's, it's huge. I mean, you are hearing 50%, 60% um, at the moment. And coming into next week, there's a huge amount of staff gone again. So we, we're just waiting to see what the data is next week. We have a survey going out on Sunday night, and we're hoping to have those results for everybody on Tuesday. But it's huge. And, and you know yourself, Elaine, sorry to cut across, but you, you have two crashes yourself. What's the situation in those? I have nine staff out at the moment between isolation and covid um, I've actually come down with something this morning. I woke up and I'm not well at all. Um, went online trying to get a PCR test. Can't get one. Um, none of my staff that are out there waiting on PCR tests. They're five days now sitting. No luck of getting a PCR test. Um, so we're antigen, antigen testing all of our staff every single day as we come in. Yesterday we were down to three of us out of 17. It was such a long day, such a hard day. We got no breaks, nothing whatsoever until we walked out the door at six o'clock. And there's no way our sector can keep up this. There's just absolutely no way. Uh, you know, I'm asking the government here and the people sitting around this uh, table today to give us access to the antigen test, free antigen test for all services for every single day at this time as we come in. Because we opened up our doors last year for the government. We opened up for the economy so the workforce could go back out. And what have we got? We're sitting here now like sitting ducks. It's not right. And have, have you got access to Because, I mean, I know a lot of people are really struggling to, to get antigen tests just for their families, uh, you know, for day-to-day activities. H- how are you managing just getting access to them? So we contacted a company called Veriquip and they are now at the moment bringing in antigen tests for us and are are now servicing our sector. Um, And we got them at a cost of 220 per test. Now, 
that's great and it's, it's wonderful that this company have come on board with us but why do we have to pay for this? We are needed, you need us, the workforce needs us, so why are we paying for it? Why are governments not supplying this to all sectors that are out there? And respect the people that are showing up for work. Mm-hmm. And what about um, PPE then, masks, I'm thinking, in terms of, uh, you know, those FFP2 masks now that we're being told. Mm-hmm. And particularly, as you say, you, your, your staff are dealing with, with a cohort, an age group that can't be vaccinated. No, and, and the other thing, like we've seen now that the schools are going to be supplied with them, but there's been no mention of the early learning sector whatsoever. I, I see Donica mentioning the, the schools and that. What about us? I mean, we've been here all along and we are entitled to be looked after the same as everybody else. We want the masks. We need the medically graded masks for our services. We need the antigen tests and we need them Monday morning. Will you stay there, uh, Elaine? I, I want to put the, all of that to uh, Minister Thomas Byrne, who's sitting in front of me here. That is a cry for help there. And uh, you can see that they are really, really, really struggling to keep the doors open. Absolutely. And I think they're, they're doing essential work. And I think we're very, very grateful for the work that they're doing. Uh, what help. are you going to do to help? Well, them? I mean, I'm going to go to the minister this afternoon and contact him um, uh, directly. I mean, I think the case has been made publicly here in relation to masks. Um, they have been in schools, for example, as part of the capitation uh, money, which has been massively increased for schools in particular. And I know the schools in the early learning sector are completely different. Uh, schools have been able to get them uh, as part of that enhanced capitation. Uh, and in, 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 in all honesty, similar arrangements should be made for the early learning sector. So that's, I think, OK, so that's about the, the starting on point test, is on, test, on, on, on the antigen test. That's on a the huge antigen one. test, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge problem the world over. We're doing record numbers of PCR tests uh, at the moment. The HSE is providing, I think, about 400,000 antigen tests in the last week, free of charge uh, for people to register, etc. Uh, they're also being provided for close contacts. The close contacts rules are being looked at. I think there's going to be a European decision on that, uh, and that will have an impact. Yeah, on but that's being well. lower symptomatic. Supply, that, that's, su- a, that's a separate yeah, yeah. issue, and supply, right? And supply has come back uh, to some extent, from what I can see, uh, to some of the shops that I've visited in the last day or two, and supermarkets are publicly reporting that. I'm not saying it's it, it's 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 the end of the problem. It's not. But when we saw okay, that's a supply issue. What about the cost issue? Because I mean, even at what is it, two twenty is what uh, Elaine is now paying, and to and all her staff need them constantly, daily. Uh, like, why is she, does she have to shoulder the cost of that when we need creches and childcare providers to have their businesses open for the whole? Sh- Everyone, to, to, to the whole show to be kept on the road. Look, it's 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 undoubtedly a very very good question. I mean, the the Omicron wave has demonstrated the need for antigen testing, and quite frankly, when there wasn't pressure on the PCR system. Um, really antigen tests were something that were not strictly necessary really when you could go and get a free gold standard test at the moment that's not possible the American wave is out there I think this situation has been kept under review all the time I think in the last week in the last week the efforts have been to make sure we can actually get supplies of these because as we've seen ourselves in our shops supplies have been limited but that, that okay. particular issue Okay many moons ago and it seems like many moons ago now it was suggested that there we could get free there, there would be a subsidised antigen test available for, for all households. That was immediately, uh, very quickly, taken off the table because we were told, well, sure, Lidl is doing cheap antigen tests now and the, well, the well, market that, is sorting that, that out for us. Time, well, at that particular time, um, the antigen tests were like seven, eight euro, I think even dearer. They have come down substantially in price. So, so the, the subsidy that was proposed at that time, just to be clear, would have meant that they were still higher in price than they are now and might have affected. But have we moved way beyond that now? We, because we, now yes, I, 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 I think we probably have at this particular point and I think th- what I'm saying is that this situation has been kept under review all the time. We're hoping. Are you that saying the peak that the government is reviewing or is re- uh, will re- oh, re- return to the, the position of perhaps subsidising or, or offering this, free antigen this, tests this to houses? The situation with COVID, as we can see, is under review all the time because the situation is changing all okay. the time. We've seen Katie, that. I think what we're dealing with here, I think what we're dealing with here is the fact that the government has been absolutely all over the place in relation to antigen testing. And I think um, Louise makes a, or Elaine, I should say, makes two very important points. One is in relation to the early year sector and I think it has been neglected and I agree with that and that's something I have raised during the week. As a family we rely on a school and uh, early years education uh, and it's crucially important. I think one of the things that need to be looked in relation to that is uh, is in relation to relief panels because there's already been a staffing issue in relation to the early years and I think we should be looking at the county childcare committees being able to provide uh, relief staff uh, and perhaps we should be looking at filtration as well but just in relation to antigen testing. Like I mean this is 
an issue that everywhere else in Europe was it was was they had a very significant role to play. Sinn Féin has been talking about uh, antigen testing place taking a big role for nine months now. We've been talking about free antigen testing from October. Uh, it is the case in many jurisdictions that they're provided free. What should be happening here is fairly clear. Yes, there's a supply issue that needs to be sorted, but what the government should be doing is similar to what happened in relation to PPE and other issues at the start of the pandemic. It should be using the size of the state to engage directly with the providers, uh, procuring large amounts of them exactly and distributing. No, that's not what's happening. That's exactly what's happening this week. Sorry, no, 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 that's Can not what's happening. And it's not, it we're not getting could, out. No, there needs to be provided okay. free, Thomas. That's what needs to be happening. That's not what's provided. Well, well, last, go back, last week okay. alone, there were over 400,000 tests provided Thomas, free. Thomas, £85 million was spent on ventilators that couldn't be used in by the HSE. We're now, only now, ordering 15 million antigen tests. Last April, I said we should have been given antigen tests free. And Katie, I want to commend Elaine. Elaine has been hard set to be heard at the government table for nigh on two years. The Federation is rarely invited in or recognised in what they have to say, but they are an essential service. And I'd say not only Elaine's employees need to be tested, we're looking at families. If you're an employee being tested and you go home, you suspect your child has it, you need to test that child before you can go to work. We need to supply free antigen testing. The UK did it, Northern Ireland did it. We should have been doing it in conjunction and we should still do it. I said we, it would be a grave mistake not to do it before Christmas. We now have a collapsed shambles of a PCR testing system. People can't either, you know, they just can't access it. And by the time they will, they probably could end up not with a, with a positive uh, result, they could be getting negative PCR because they've waited so long. We have to look at the cost to the economy. It's the government being pound foolish and penny wise by not handing out free antigen tests. Yes, Elaine, you were trying to get in yeah. there. I, well, my point to you all here today is if we have to close down this sector because of COVID and all of the areas across the country nationwide, then what are you going to do? Because your economy is going to suffer. Because parents will not be able to go to work. The workforce is out then as well. So we have been asking for months and months and months for PCR prioritisation for our sector. And we are getting, as Verona said, my voice has not been heard at government level. It's been actually blocked at every level. And it cannot happen anymore. We need to have full access to PCR today. We need antigen tests starting next week in every single service across this country daily. And if families suspect that one of their children have COVID, we should have access to those antigen tests to give to those families as well in our service. Just to it's say, just to that. say, Katie, Elaine, the actual fact is the lack of antigen testing being rolled out or PCR has led to a collapse in all workforces. So it again, it has closed the economy and it's about to get worse. Just on that one last point, PCR priority for people uh, in, in, the, in these situations. And, and I suppose well, you could I wasn't say aware that we had, we had any PCR priority with the possible exception of the health sector. Um, the PCR testing, no matter, like it's, it's, it's under pressure all over the world. We still have one of the highest rates of PCR testing in the world at the moment. We're doing 30 to 40. How good is it, Thomas? Well, oh. I'm sorry, it is good. We're doing 30 to 40. It's a shambles. It's an actual shambles today. It's not a shambles. We're doing 30 to 40,000 tests. A PCR tests require not just a test and, and the people to do the test, but also laboratory. People in the PCR testing centres are working as hard as they can. They're getting through as many as they can. But the reality is, is that because the government was so opposed to antigen testing playing a role, now that system is being overwhelmed and there isn't enough antigen tests to go around and they're expensive for people. Yes, they have come down in price, but if you don't have very much, if you have to do them regularly, it is a drain on your income uh, and it should have been provided free and we shouldn't have seen the level of opposition to antigen testing playing a role. Not... Not, not an exclusive role, not an exclusive oil 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 role, but a significant role. Sorry, so, there was no... So, so they've been rolled, yeah, they I just been the, rolled out in I, the N, through the NHS since last year. Yes, yeah. I just had okay, the Minister the come, back, come back on that. Yes, yes, there was, was no born. government opposition to antigen tests. It was the, the public health advice that was given to government was that when we had um, absolute uh, overflowing and PCR test advice, availability... And that's government decides. I yeah, don't go, accept for a minute government, that government, government didn't have a role Government did here. decide well, it, but based on the public health advice at the time. And one, this one has changed clearly with the Omicron, with the Omicron uh, um, variant. Uh, one last question in relation before we leave it. Um, the, the examiner, the Irish examiner, reporting today that a review of the close contact rules is still on the table. Do you know anything yes, more about that? It is, but uh, uh, our public health experts will be uh, liaising with their European colleagues over the next few days, and yeah, that could happen next week.
OK, OK, I'm going to have to leave that there. Uh, Elaine Dunn, many thanks for joining us with that and best of luck and I hope you're feeling uh, you're, you're feeling better as the take goes on. Um, but uh, we will take a break. Saturday with Katie Hannan on RTE Radio 1. And um, just a text in there after that conversation. Uh, Katie, what on earth, why on earth are antigen test kits not supplied uh, at least to those people who can produce a medical card? We don't all earn a politician's salary uh, and are still not back at work. Shame on them, says Emily. Um, yes, we need fast access to PCR so staff are not waiting five to seven days for PCR and then 10 to 14 days off from then, says a- another listener. And uh, we have an email in. All schools do not provide face masks. All teachers I know provide their own face masks at their own expense. That's from Joan. And we want to go to schools now because uh, reports today the students had to be sent home from school early yesterday due to freezing cold uh, temperatures with principals struggling to keep their classrooms properly ventilated. And I want to bring in Emer Neville now. Uh, Emer is Uchtaron of the Irish Second Level Students Union. Thanks for joining us, Emer. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, Emer, what have you been hearing from uh, your student members around the country since the schools reopened on Thursday? Well, like you said there, we're hearing that students are absolutely freezing in classrooms. Yesterday, school in Dublin was sent home because their classroom reached um, as low as six degrees, um, which is absolutely freezing. Um, And they're not allowed to wear coats or jackets. Sometimes it's only if it's a school accredited jacket, which again puts students out of pocket having to go out and buy those jackets, um, which is really unfortunate, especially for those um, that might be able to afford them or in desk schools. And where they just mightn't have access to them. So we're really worried about that, first of all, that students are sitting in freezing cold classrooms, especially with the likes of heavy rain and snowfall, um, as we've been seeing lately. But we're also getting reports of massive absences from schools. Um, for example, um, we had co- been contacted by a school in Kerry, um, a student in Kerry, and they had 62% of the students in their school were absent. Another student in Loud um, told us that 30, 330 students out of 880 in their school um, were absent with only half of the teachers present. And then additionally, a six-year student in Wexford had only five students in his double music class, no teacher or work left for him to complete. And on top of that, was left with no supervision at all throughout the day, just a principal checking on him and his peers throughout. Right. And and you've launched a survey, haven't you, Um, asking students their views on being back at school in light of the current wave and the plans uh, for this year's state examinations. What, What are you asking them? What are you trying to find out from this survey? What we're trying to find out is, first of all, information on COVID in school. Do students feel safe? Are they noticing massive absences between students and teachers? Are they getting online tuition if they are isolating due to COVID or close contacts? And then as well as that, we are asking students um, information about the state examination. So if you're a third year or sixth year student, um, we're asking you to rank in order what you would like to see um, if state examinations cannot go ahead in 2022. And are you getting responses? Or are you getting a good feedback from that? Yeah, at the moment we've hit um, over 3,000 responses and it's, all, it's only launched last night. So we're going to be leaving that open until next Friday um, to let any student who wants to voice their concerns. And has the, the Second Level Students' Union taken a position on whether Leaving Cert, the Leaving Cert should be run on a hybrid basis again this year? We haven't taken a position yet. That's why we're currently consulting with students. We want to know what students are looking for. So if there are any students listening, I would really encourage you to go to isu.ie forward slash survey, fill it out and let us know what you want to see. OK, OK, Emer, many thanks for that. Just giving us a flavour of what's happening out there on the ground. And it's, in many cases, not a pretty picture. Uh, Donica O'Leary, can I bring you in on that Leaving Cert question? Uh, <laughs> you know, we're back. It's hard to believe we are back in the same place we were this time last year talking the same thing. Where should we be going with this? Look, I mean, I think there are some differences, but one of the big things that are similar really is that when you talk to students across the country, um, the, the, the I suppose when you take into account the loss of time uh, last year when they were in fifth year with school closures when you take into account the amount of time that people have to spend in self-isolation and indeed subject teachers would have had to take in self-isolation um, I think an awful lot of students are finding it very very hard to cover the course in a lot of subjects so in my view I think it should be about choice I think we need to roll out uh, the same model or a similar model such as was there last year uh, to ensure that students can choose either an accredited grade or a written exam. I think that latter part is important. There were some people last year who were looking for exams to be cancelled, some political parties. I didn't agree with that because I knew that students uh, wanted to sit the exam. They wanted the opportunity and that 
turned out to be the case. Uh, about 87% of the 60,000 students who did it last year chose a combination. And I think that's the fairest thing when you take into account uh, the learning, uh, I suppose, the, the, the challenges that have been there in, in covering the course. And I suppose the stress and anxiety that's been caused by the pandemic as well. I think it is only fair that Leaving Cert students have a choice. We've been shown last year that it can work, that it can work well. So I think it's perfectly logical, reasonable and very fair in the circumstances, in the very challenging COVID year that we have, that Leaving Cert students would get a choice this year. And that should just be, because yeah, I know that the last year we had this Leaving Cert stakeholders group that, that came, you know, came together and, and decided on the way forward. Do well, you think we're going beyond that now? No, no, I wouldn't necessarily say so. I think, I mean, I think all stakeholders need to be involved in planning the, the modalities and details of this. And obviously there could be some adjustments. And one of the things that I think we need to address uh, is third level availability. Uh, and, you know, fairness as between the different cohorts and different years. So there are e- issues and details that need to be worked out. I'm not suggesting otherwise. What I would be saying is that the objective here needs to be the place that we need to get to is a Leaving Cert based on choice. Okay. The same as last year. Of course, all stakeholders need to be part of planning the detail and the rollout of that. Okay. But I would like to see that. Yes, I think that's the way. Minister, hard to argue with that. Well, what I would completely agree with is that the role of stakeholders is really, really important. So the, there is this Leaving Cert advisory group still in place where the minister meets with stakeholders, the department meets with students, with uh, unions uh, and everybody involved in the examination process. But as a starting point, should... should well, the starting point always is that the exams will go ahead. So that's the, always the starting point. Um, but in what form? Well, in the, what's, what's been planned is that we'll go ahead as normal uh, this year, but with a with a an opportunity for people who are sick or whatever, or, or a bereavement leave, or whatever, to do them a, a few weeks later. Um, but these things, again are always kept under review because, I mean, this time last year we were starting a school, lockdown schools were closed so that the situation is completely different. Um, and what I think the But isn't this the problem though? The students who really need a bit of certainty going forward now, what are they facing into? And uh, last year, you know, decisions were made very late in the day for, for students and really... Well, in the, in that's the, an extra I mean, added an, an added extra layer so, of, so, of, of so, sorry when I, when I was education spokesperson myself I was extremely critical of decisions being made late in the day because with the situation there at the beginning of the month of May in 2020 when no decision had been made about the leaving cert a decision has been made that the exams will happen um, that decision has been taken and work is ongoing I suppose Thomas just to be fair there's no suggestion that the exam shouldn't happen it's yeah, yeah, just that no. they should have the option of well, an accredited grade in addition but this, and but but certain, but yeah, but can I just put you when you hear from Emer there talking about uh, classrooms where you know half the teachers are out and uh, you know it's a serious situations people not being able to, to study because of the cold and the classrooms and all like to ask these students to proceed with a leaving cert as if they hadn't had to go through this are they really you know and we're, we don't even know when the peak of this Omicron surge is going to come well we're hoping that the peak would be the next few days and we don't know that but that's certainly the hope and that's what seems to have happened in other places South Africa, London that people are looking at statistics and let's hope that that happens here and decision has been taken the Minister I think has been constantly engaging with the interest groups there um, and we didn't want to have uncertainty there so the exams are going ahead as they are and there certainly well, I, is Thomas just to say I wrote to the Minister on the 2nd of December about this very issue at that early stage I had parents and students on to me explaining the circumstances in which they were trying to be educated through absenteeism huge disruption compromised teaching uh, not you heard what you saw what Sive Ryan of Limerick had to say yes yesterday to the media, her teaching or her learning ability has been compromised because she's so cold in the classroom. She feels that she has had no chance or opportunity for the last three years in which to undertake a normal leaving cert. I don't understand how a decision has been made. There's nothing changed from last year. Absolutely nothing. A dual offering has to be given. The option must be given. We cannot allow a festering of mental anguish, both for parents and students, to continue. I haven't yet received an answer to that letter. I've received numerous emails from students who've also written to the minister who are asking when they might receive a reply by me. You know, I'm giving them a response, but they can't and haven't heard from the minister. I don't expect the minister's going to write back to individual students, but we need to listen to them. I've been in the schools. I've seen the children wearing their their coats and their hats and the windows open with temperature monitors. Essentially, the minute they close the windows, the heat rises, the temperature and they're open again. It's hugely disrupting. Nothing has changed. Government neglected to install HEPA filters. They ordered a report. Last 
last March that report said HEPA filters should be installed in schools. That didn't happen. The masks weren't given to the school during the holidays, the medical grade masks. Contact tracing was taken away last September and hasn't been given the go-ahead to be reinstituted. Can I just get you to respond to that particular point? The idea, and you've heard from principals over the Christmas period, really feeling like they were abandoned and left to their own devices to source these HEPA filters, to, to do all the hard work themselves. Uh, with you know, should should the department not have been more front and centre in organising uh, to make its classrooms safe as possible when they returned? Well, can I just say, just in terms of last year, 122 million was given by the department to schools in relation to keeping the place safe. So you're talking about PPE, you're talking about clean, extra cleaning. So a huge amount of resources. Sorry, sorry, we've got an airborne virus here, Minister. Uh, you know, cleaning is not mm-hmm. going to uh, sorry. S- stop it so from, are you, from are you, spreading. Are you saying that the World Health Organization or the HSE were not advising people to clean or uh, RTE wasn't I, providing hand the, sanitizer like I, it's right here in front of me? I'm talking so about the fact that this is an airborne virus sorry, and, and there was a, sorry, a drive well, on for HEPAFIL. Sorry, you're criticising you're criticising the government for providing um, hand sanitizer, okay? When it was recommended, but you are. I'm, I'm sitting here beside not, one in RTE. I'm not criticising the government for anything. I'm, I'm, I'm asking if there should have been more a bigger role for the department in providing well, HEPA the, the, filters the, the and other ventilation uh, advice the, for schools. The difficulty with HEPA, over the Christmas HEPA, break, money for HEPA filters has been provided. Um, the World Health Organization themselves have said yes they're part of the solution but they're not the answer and I think all through this pandemic we've had various things put out there this will solve the problem uh, no, look at but Minister, the other point about HEPA filters the other point about HEPA filters is we know there's no silver bullet all of these things everything is presented no it's not nobody has ever said HEPA filters are the answer we still believe in hand sanitising we still believe in wearing masks we still believe in social distancing the HEPA filters are something that the government commissioned a report on that report was issued and said that HEPA filter should be installed almost 10 months later. That has not happened. That's the support the teachers require. That's the complaint the teachers have that everything government departments okay, let the minister yeah. back is spin. Yeah. Look, it's it's not spin. I mean, there's a there's a seven day a week helpline there. Um, that never the gives a call back. Apparently, it, it, it does actually because it's the inspectors themselves who know the schools. But the point with HEPA filters as well is that you can't simply buy a batch of HEPA filters and send them out to schools. Each particular room needs to be judged for what particular type is of HEPA filter. Is that not what the report said? That, but that's what's happening now. So the money has been provided to schools to be able to do that, but you simply cannot put them out into every every classroom and plug them in, the and then it's going it's going to work. Okay, but you, so you're like, because pre- this is something that's coming from principals uh, saying that they feel that they have been abandoned and that they, they don't have the expertise or the time or, or you know, the, the, the wherewithal to, to do this job that should be I mean, done at departmental uh, level. On, to work on, at six on, degrees. On, on, the, on the one hand, we have, we have detailed guidelines published by the department based on public health advice. We had a review over Christmas on masks. We have another review on masks in the education sector. So you think enough has been done? No, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry. No. There'll never be enough done. And I'm very grateful for the work the principals and teachers are doing because we've kept our schools open to the greatest extent uh, Can you possible. just tell us why the contact tracing was stopped? Because, because public health said it should be stopped. Nobody in government made that decision. Okay, okay, I'm going to have to take a break, um, but uh, we will, yeah, we'll take a break now. Tweet at Saturday RTE. Um, and just before we leave the issue of uh, vaccination and uh, COVID certs, Minister, you mentioned earlier about, you know, you were encouraging people to go ahead and get the booster because to protect their own health, but also because people will need these COVID certs uh, down the line for travelling. Um what is the situation with, with the uh, issuing of those certs now? So as of yesterday evening, there were about 700,000 digital COVID booster certs issued, which is a, a huge number over the previous two days. So I just know somebody in, in my household got one the day before on Thursday. I actually, mine came in the email last night. Um, so they're starting to be rolled out. I imagine there'll be more tomorrow and the next day. They can't send them all out at once because it would just, uh, they could end up in spam folders or whatever. So it, it's a very, very big job. And I suppose the way the booster campaign has worked, particularly in the run up to Christmas, it was a huge uh, rush out. I got my booster on the 20th of December. Um, just after my age group opened and I, you know mine came in last night so there sh- should be no particular delay uh, and that'll keep happening over the next few days but you do need them in certain countries in Europe even for, for dining depending on your age as well So and, and I know this was floated by the Taoiseach actually that, that this could be coming uh, in for dining here uh, 
can you confirm that that's completely off the table in terms of what what you will need to, to get into hospitality well, there, here? There, there'll be nothing off the table, but it's not required at the moment. Um, and I think I'm not sure you could require it while it is considered that the, the, the vaccines are valid or whatever. And, 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 and not everybody has had the opportunity to get a booster out yet either. It wouldn't be fair. Uh, but everything will be done in accordance with public health advice. But there's no doubt there are there, there will be needed for travel. Uh, outside the country um, once the 1st of February pass and if, you're, if your second dose is more than nine months. They are also currently needed in some European countries as well um, for, for dining, etc. So, so these are things people will, will have to have even if we don't impose uh, further restrictions along those lines. OK. Um, can I ask you about Simon Coveney, um, Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney? He refused to answer questions uh, from reporters last night. They were asking if he would go before the Iraq, this Foreign Affairs Committee to answer questions in relation to a lock that that lockdown champagne party, as it's been described, which was held in the Department of Foreign Affairs last uh, in June of 2020. Um, Minister, this is your department. Should he attend that committee in your view and give a full account of what happened that evening? Well, first of all, I think it's important to say the thing was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. It was before we were in government, so so it didn't happen. And quite frankly, at the time, most of the rest of us were completely paranoid about following COVID rules. And in fact, the Taoiseach famously, when he's elected Taoiseach, had no family uh, around him uh, at that time uh, because of COVID rules. So it shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. Um, it seems to have been a moment, they said, of happiness, but really a moment of madness. It just shouldn't have. There were people there who had to be in work that day. They were, they were doing a job that required them to be in the office. Uh, Ireland had got the seat in the Security Council and someone very foolishly brought out a bottle of champagne, as I understand it, uh, and, and, and that photograph was taken. Minister Coveney said he wasn't there uh, and there was no but evidence. He said he dropped in for 10 minutes yeah, at some stage. I, I, I have no doubt because it's his department. I mean, he's, he's there. It was, a big, it was a big moment for the state. However, I mean, a, a minister doesn't have a choice about Oireachtas committees or answering questions. That's a matter for the Oireachtas committee themselves. So if the Oireachtas committee decides... Would you to, like to see him go before the committee? But it's, it's entirely a matter of the Oireachtas committee. I mean, there's the... the, the I'm asking for your view. Look, I'm not going to tell the Oireachtas Committee on Foreign Affairs what to do. If they want to call in the Minister for Foreign Affairs, they are entitled to do that. There is foreign affairs questions in the dog. Do you think there's questions outstanding that we we haven't had answers in relation to this? The only two questions were that it happened and it shouldn't have happened. Uh, and the minister was asked, was he there? And he said he wasn't there. So, I mean, if, if um, I'm, I've no doubt he would be, be happy to answer questions. But it's it's for a minister. It's not it's it's not their role to decide whether they answer questions or not. It doesn't matter for the committee. Any TD in the doll can ask questions as well. Uh, of any minister when it comes up to, to ministerial questions, written or indeed orally as well. OK, uh, Verona? I've been accused, of course, previously of supporting Simon Coveney in his earlier controversy. What I'd say here is I'm disappointed it took him three attempts to clarify his position. But I do believe we need to move on. We do not need a distraction of this nature. We have no housing. We have huge problems in health. We can't access doctors and dentists in Wexford. You know, we have much more serious things. And yes, this is serious, but not one that needs the level of distraction that we saw before. We need to just get on and get back to running the country. OK, just for clarity, I'll just uh, give you some of what Mr Coveney said, because he issued a fairly detailed statement earlier this week. He said, on June 17, 2020, was a work day for me. At no point during that day did I attend a champagne reception. I was in government buildings for the UN Security Council vote. It was at this time a photograph was taken at Ivy House and that showed um, DFA officials breaching COVID, uh, COVID guidelines. I had no prior knowledge of this impromptu gathering in the workplace. It should not have happened. And the then Secretary General admitted the mistake 18 months ago. Is that OK for you? Is that enough for you, Donica O'Leary? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I suppose I think it is disappointing. And I suppose when you look at the previous controversy in relation to Catherine Zappone and all the rest of it, I, I think Simon Coveney at the time went to great lengths to emphasise that he had learned from it and that he would show more humility and things like that. But unfortunately, I don't think he has displayed that humility or that learning. It took him, as has been said, uh, several attempts to, to, to clarify uh, his knowledge or his whether he was there and so on. And I, I, I don't understand that, to be honest. I don't understand why he didn't come up with the story straight away. Um, look, I mean, I think it is very disappointing. I think people will be uh, frustrated at it. Um, I think he should go before the committee. I don't know that Thomas is being totally, yes, it is up to the committee to invite him in, but it is, uh, you know, he doesn't have to take up that invitation, or at least he doesn't have to take it up immediately and he could long finger it. I hope that, I imagine that they will invite him. I hope that he accepts that invitation at the earliest opportunity uh, okay. and that this issue can be scrutinised uh, at that stage. Can I just, as Katie, just, I, I didn't get a chance to come in on the safety in school, so just very briefly I want to say, like, look, the role of the HEPA filters is happening far too slowly it's the wrong mechanism and this messing where teachers have to put their hands in their pockets for, for medical grades masks isn't good enough that should be provided through the department centrally
Okay. Okay. Just, just just on that point, there was 122 million provided. I think that's for PPE, so people could have decided to buy medical masks as part of that. But this has been looked at again with public health. But there was a huge amount of money for PPE okay. given to schools. Uh, okay. 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 That's okay fine, I, I, Thomas. But like, I mean, I think to be fair, like you know, things have moved on in terms of the advice. And the other element to this is that budgets uh, in schools are already under fierce pressure because they can't fundraise, they can't rent out halls. Okay. Uh, and you know, and then that's struggling. Okay. I, 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 I just, funding I'm, given to schools I'm over the, the last okay, year and a half. Okay. I'm, I'm talking to you because I do want to just touch on this last issue which is uh, the issue of the Waterford uh, Search and Rescue Service um, because this tender uh, competition from the Department of Transport for the provision of search and rescue services for the Irish Coast Guard that ends in two weeks time but there are concerns remaining that one of the four established bases in uh, Dublin, Shannon, Sligo or Waterford could be lost and Verona you believe that it's not looking good for Waterford. Yeah, and I want to actually just mention my colleague, my independent colleague here in Waterford, Matt Shanahan, who has been to the front of this since May of 2021. Matt Shanahan, Michael Larry and myself visited the base in Waterford in August because there was an insinuation that the airport runway wasn't going to receive the funding that had been committed, in which case the airport wouldn't be viable. The base for R117 is in Waterford Airport and the airport would need to be operational for the base to continue. So we know that that funding hasn't come forth, but the problem here is that uh, very Machiavellianly, I might say, pre-Christmas, a notice for the expression of interest went out for the tender for the ZARS, which is the Search and Rescue Service. That notice has, uh, the, the content of that is that we would have three helicopters going forward. We currently have four and a spare. Uh, So I'm very concerned that there would be a diminishment of that service, given the fact that particularly through Rosslare Europort, we have a 400% increase on direct ferry traffic, which can cater, there can be as many as 1,200 passengers on those ships. To bear in mind, the increase in call-out for 117 over the last 12 months has been up by 200 and call-outs. 117 from is the Waterford-based Waterford, Waterford yes. search and rescue helicopter. Very quickly, uh, Minister, what... what there's no mention of any particular geographical location in this tender, good, bad or indifferent. Um, it simply says that there needs to be a minimum uh, of three uh, aircraft um, and the precise uh, number of bases, the precise locations are a matter then for the subsequent uh, tender process. But there's no mention that Waterford is losing out in this. Or well, I'm there glad could be no, There could be no interpretation well, of that that Waterford is losing we out. We will be putting emotion. But, but, but it does look like w- one base will no, lose no, out. Does, we're down, if we're no, no, a minimum no. of three helicopters no, 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 does it, indicate it, that it, we the, may the, be the changing the number the of The number of bases and the location are not specified at this particular uh, stage of the tender process. Appreciate that, Minister. Not what I've read. It doesn't say a minimum. It asks, the requirement is for three helicopters. The tr- the, 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 a fixed the, wing and a spare, the, which the, would be a diminution of what we have currently. Now, the, there, pre, the, the pre-qualification questionnaire, as I understand it, states that there's a minimum requirement of three uh, helicopters. The number of bases and the Waterford, location... Are Waterford should not fear here? Is that well, what you're saying? What I'm saying is that Waterford or I'm Dublin or Sligo how or How can you have Shannon, a tender process that says a minimum of three and then you add yeah, another like one? Is that what you Shannon do? Shannon isn't mentioned or Dublin isn't mentioned or no, Sligo no, isn't mentioned or any of them isn't mentioned. Because on a be, geographic uh, basis, the last time the contract went out, Waterford was actually going to be dropped. But the, and it was, I can assure you the same cohort of people feel that that just won't happen this time but let me just say Katie the independent regional group plus the Shannon independent group led by Jared Crockwell will be putting a motion down the minute we get back to the doll for government to come in and explain the actual okay. re- the expression and I, I, of okay, interest. And we will know, we, so we know that we will be hearing more, more about this uh, when the doll resumes. Uh, but we're going to have to take my last break now. Email Saturday at rte.ie and that's it for today. The producer was Mary O'Hagan. Research was by Andrew Fleming. Broadcast coordinator was Elaine Conlon and Gar Duffy was on sound. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay tuned now for Saturday Sports with John Murray and Greg Allen.